So our uh, scripture this morning is Matthew 12, 38 through 42. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of, the man, a son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with, his, with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. All right, let's see if this sounds familiar. I need a sign to let me know you're here. All of these lines are being crossed over the atmosphere. I need to know that things are going to look up. I feel us drowning in a sea spilled from a cup. Anybody know that song? Yeah? What is it? You're close. It is train. It's calling all angels, my train. You're, you're like right there. I mean, like basically. I say we give you the points. Uh, I mean, if you just call out a song from 2003 and just know it, that, that's pretty good. You had it. See, I just didn't get to the chorus, then you would know, because the chorus is, is straight up that, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, the reason I bring this up is we're, we're, the sermon series, you know, we're looking through these questions that Jesus asked when he's interacting with people, when he's in the Gospels, and he's, uh, people are coming to him, or, or he's healing people, and uh, he asks questions. And Jesus teaches in a number of different ways through the Gospels, really uh, quite effectively, I think we can say that. Uh, and sometimes he does it by just kind of preaching. Uh, he, he just stands there and tells people what the truth is, uh, and they absorb it that way. Other times he'll do parables and tell uh, these kind of short stories to, to get to deeper points. Uh, but a really common thing that we see in the New Testament is that Jesus asks questions of people, and those questions have this ability to dive deeper into our motives, uh, this ability to dive deeper into who we are, what's going on underneath. And, and our question for today is this question of why do you ask for a sign? Why do you ask for a sign? So the song started with, I need a sign to let me know you're here. So even in this song, there's this crying out that's, that's saying, I, I just show me something, show me that you still care. Show me that there's something going on. I, I think uh, it's very relatable in our own lives that we have times where we cry out, particularly to God, and we say, God, I, I've read in the Bible that you've done great things, but just give me just, just a sign. Just give me something that says that you still love me. Or give me something that says that, that you still care about this world, that you're still active, that you're still doing something. So what is a sign? Well, 
I found this definition. I, I think it's somewhat helpful for our conversation today. It says that a sign uh, in the Bible is something that we can see or that we can experience in our day-to-day lives, which communicates uh, either direction or wisdom or some kind of proof. Um, and I would say outside of Christianity, just in our world, that we would say from, from somehow from the spiritual realm. So we're looking for some kind of proof, some kind of direction, some kind of wisdom from the spiritual realm, and we just receive this sign, uh, and then we say, oh, okay, you know, that means I should go that direction, or that means this is something going on. And, and when we read, uh, I think most Christians aren't just generically looking from the spiritual realm, Hope, hopefully not, uh, but we're particularly looking from God, saying, you know, God, show me something that says that you're still doing something here um, in a lot of ways, that the answer to the question is simple. You know, why, why do you demand a sign? Why do you ask for a sign? Well, we ask for a sign because we are in a hurting and broken world. We ask for it because there's this desire inside of us to know that God cares, that God is doing something, that God is, that God is active, that he hasn't abandoned us, that we're not missing something. Uh, But if we go here into Matthew 12, I think we get a whole lot more. So uh, here we are. I read for you earlier. This is Matthew 12, starting in verse 38. And what we hear is that some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus, and they propose this question. They say, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, this is interesting because... uh, what Jesus responds is not how, how you might think Jesus might respond. Um, he sort of gives them almost this riddle. He kind of says, you know, I'll show you nothing but the sign of Jonah, somewhat implying that maybe we know what that means, but, but it doesn't appear that, that they knew what that meant. And um, the story just kind of goes on. And I think it's a worthy story in general to look at in the Gospels and learn from, but I think it gets really important when it starts to intersect with our own lives. When it starts to intersect with times in our own lives where stuff is going on, uh, God's own people are are looking at God, and and if we're frank and if we're honest, we don't really think about it this way, but but if we're kind of blunt about it, we kind of put God on trial. We put God on the witness stand, and we say, God, I don't know if you're behaving the way that you're supposed to be behaving in the world. I see things going on, and and I feel like I understand who you are, so so let's put God on the witness. And this is not me recommending this, by the way. (laughs) Don't be taking notes at this point. We we kind of put God on the witness stand, and we say, God, you're not living up to your end of the deal. I was supposed to follow you. I was supposed to do this part of my life. I was supposed to dedicate my life in this way. And and as a result, I kind of expected this set of blessings. And I'm not feeling them. And now I'm starting to question your love for me. So we put God up there and then we say, God, you know, say something. Answer for yourself. What is going on? And we see this with the Pharisees here, that Jesus is not behaving the way that the Pharisees think this Messiah should behave. So they come before him and they say, you know, if, if this really is, if you're really the Messiah, if you're really this promised one that's supposed to come, you're not really behaving like it, so just show us a sign. Show us something, you know, do, 
do a little miracle here, and then we'll be like, okay, you know, there's, maybe there's something uh, to this Jesus. But you can see the twisted nature of what's going on, right? It's, it's a story of God's people. These are not non-believers. These are, these are Jewish people. These are the teachers of the law, which means the first five books of the Old Testament. These are Bible teachers. These are Pharisees who are kind of the, the best of the best of, of the religious people of the day, and they're saying, you know, Jesus, you're not really living up to what we thought you were going to be like. So they've put him on trial, so to speak, and they said, you know, just give us a sign. Just do this one thing, and then maybe we'll follow you. You don't need to be a follower of Jesus very long to realize that Jesus often just doesn't play that way. I don't know if that's true in your own life. That's true in mine. When I've come before God and I said, yeah, I thought the deal was this, that Jesus doesn't respond in a way that, that I feel you know, would justify or I feel like, like uh, kind of meets me at that place. So when we see Jesus' response here, it's not too shocking, uh, at least to me. Again, verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. So they want to see a sign. Actually, this, this is told a number of times in the Gospels. In Mark, chapter 8, uh, it goes from chapter 8, verses 11 through 15. And there we actually get Jesus' question as the response. Jesus says in Mark, why do you ask for a sign? Or why do you demand a sign from me? But here in Matthew, his response is just a little different. Jesus answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. I think that's supposed to sting a little bit. He goes on, but none will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. Okay, so what are we looking at here? The story of, of people, they've come before Jesus, they've asked Jesus for a sign and and he responds in a way that almost seems a little mysterious. Uh, he, he talks about Jonah. And if you weren't here for the Jonah series in the fall, he's not a great prophet. Now, luckily, Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to love you as much as Jonah loves the Ninevites. Because <laughs> Jonah hates the Ninevites. But what he says, is, it, he points at a different part of Jonah's story. And he says, just how Jonah was, was in the belly of the whale for three days. So the Son of Man, meaning himself, will be uh, in the grave for three days. And he talks about the Ninevites, the people that Jonah went to. They heard this, this 
wonderfully eloquent five-word sermon from Jonah. You're not very familiar with Jonah, so just reading it, it's interesting. Jonah goes before them, he says five words, and, and the people of Nineveh turn to God. It is amazing, and here Jesus says, all the people of Nineveh needed was five words, and they turn to God, so they're going to be there. Remember, he's talking to the people, that they're right in front of Jesus, they're questioning him right then, and they're still not getting it. The queen of the south, we're told, goes to Solomon, another uh, person outside of Jewish heritage that hears of God's gift of wisdom to Solomon, and it's the queen of, of modern-day Ethiopia, and, and she comes and she bows down before Solomon and, and brings uh, a bunch of gifts. All she does is hear this little message of this wisdom God has given, and, and she makes this huge travel to do it. If we just stopped there, it seems a little mysterious, but there's always deeper things going on in Scripture. So let's dive deeper here. I think this text, I think it's really important. I think it gets at how God's people behave towards God when God isn't acting the way that they think God should. I think it's really easy to look at this text and to identify as either Jesus or the disciples and be like, oh, I'm certainly not the Pharisees. I'm nothing like them. I mean, we already know from the whole gospel that they are not the characters that I want to be. So it's just really easy to be like, oh, yeah, I would be like Jesus' friend at that moment. And I'd be like, yeah, Jesus, you tell him. But if we look back in our own lives, there's times where we, we, we you know, hopefully not out loud, we're probably not saying it, but at least mentally we kind of put God or Jesus on the witness stand. We say, you're not living up to your end of the deal. What, what is going on? So how are God's people supposed to behave? You know, on the surface, it seems like a story where there's some religious leaders and they ask for a sign and it seems like a fairly reasonable request. Uh, Jesus is kind of not living up to some of these Messiah expectations. So they're like, you know, just prove to us that you are this Messiah. And he's already done miracles. We know he can do it. Uh, and it just kind of seems like, uh, like it's fairly reasonable. And then we get Jesus' response, and he kind of seems harsh. You wicked and adulterous generation, asking for a sign. I don't know, that kind of hits me different. Than this. this is not the, the Mr. Nice Jesus that I, I'm normally more comfortable with. So what is going on? And, and it gets a little intense. Well, here's part of what's going on. We're diving midstream into a story when we get to this text. Jesus, this is not his first interaction with these Pharisees and with these teachers of the law. First, they start... Uh, kind of attacking Jesus for his practices on what he's doing on the Sabbath. They're, they're kind of going after him. He lets his disciples pick, pick wheat from the field. I don't know if you remember the story. And, and, and they eat it, and they said, oh, you're harvesting wheat. You know, what's going on? And there's this whole debate of, of the Sabbath is, is for rest. It's for the people. It's not meant to be used as a weapon against the people. And then Jesus goes on, and he goes into a synagogue, and they, they follow him there, and he heals a man. But again, it's still the Sabbath. And then, then they start attacking him again. 
Now he's healing someone on the Sabbath. How is this not work? What is going on? And it doesn't stop there. Then they start claiming that Jesus is healing people because he's using the power of the devil. That it's through Satan's power that he's driving out demons, and it's through Satan's power that he's doing all this. He's, he's empowered by the devil. And that's all just in chapter 12. So here we are. We're still in chapter 12. Those three just happened. And we're actually told, if you look, in chapter 12, verse 14, it says this. After those three experiences, it says, but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. And then it breaks it apart in my Bible, but the next sentence is, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. So these are the Pharisees, these are the teachers of the law. They're already planning on how to kill him. They're already planning on how they're going to do it, and, then, and Jesus knows it. We're told that Jesus knows. He's aware of that. He withdraws from the place. And then they come before him in public, and they say, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Prove to us that you are who you say you are. So is this a, gen a genuine question? I guess I'll just ask. Is this genuine? Do we think they really want to see a sign from Jesus and have him prove who he is? No, they've approached him in public. They're, try they're trying to make a scene here. They're trying to have something go down. I actually like how this is worded by uh, a pastor named Tim Mackey, who does uh, many things with the Bible Project, if you've heard of that. and uh, He has a sermon, and, and he talks about it in this way. He's talking about this verse, and he invites people into this kind of thought experiment. And he says, how many of you woke up this morning knowing, you, you know, you know for sure that there's a group of people here in Arnold, powerful people, influential people, and they're plotting to kill you. They're plotting to kill you. And then you go to church, you went to church in the morning, and they were there. And, and then they approach you, and they say, oh, how's your day going? You can kind of feel a little bit of this dynamic that's going on, right? Jesus knows that they're planning on killing him. He knows that they will. He knows that they have the influence to do it. He knows that it, that it will happen. He doesn't uh, tell them right here uh, the hour, but he knows it is coming. And then they approach him in public. And they ask him for a sign and Jesus is just not willing to do the dance that they're asking him to dance. They're putting him on trial. They're saying, you're not acting the way that you should be acting. We know what the Messiah is supposed to be like. And you're not doing it, so, so prove it to us. So what response do we get? A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. Why are they wicked? They're wicked because they're plotting the murder of an innocent man. They are wicked. 
So Jesus, he just like, he doesn't do the sign part. He just cuts right to the heart. He goes right to the chase. What is going on here? A wicked and adulterous. Adulterous is a weird word for me. I don't feel like if this was the scenario in my life that I'd go straight to adultery. But it actually makes sense in, in biblical Old Testament world. It actually happens a lot. When God's people turn away from God in the Old Testament, they're called an adulterous generation. They've turned to other gods. They've forsaken God. They've turned away from him, and they are called an adulterous generation. And and you better believe the Pharisees knew what he was talking about. And the teachers of the law, they knew this. They knew what Jesus was saying. And he says, I'm not going to give you a sign, but you'll have the sign of Jonah. So what's this sign of Jonah? Real quick, Jonah was in Three days and three nights in the belly of what the Bible calls the big fish. And Jesus will be dead three days before he'll be resurrected on Easter Sunday. So Jesus is saying, you need a sign. Well, here's a sign for you. After you kill me, I will be dead for three days, and then I'll come back again. Is that a good enough sign? Is that a good enough sign for you? Will that prove to you who I am? You're still going to question me after that. Again, it can be so easy in these texts to say, well, I'm not the Pharisee here. I, I don't do this. I don't do this to God. I mean, and certainly, I don't think we do it in the same way. I mean, we're not plotting Jesus' murder by any means. We're, we're trying to follow him. We're trying to faithfully be with him. But we have these expectations of what he's supposed to be like, what this relationship is supposed to be like, how this is all supposed to happen. And what do we do? How do we behave when, when it's just not playing out that way? What is our attitude towards God when it's not all playing out the way that we think it should? Maybe you thought he's real, but now you're not so sure. And there's some doubt that has kind of crept in, or, or maybe life has been hard, really hard. And, and you just thought, you thought the deal was that life with Jesus was going to look a little different than that. But, but without it, you're, just, you're really struggling. Somehow Jesus just isn't coming through for you the way you thought he would. In the midst of it, we find ourselves maybe not putting Jesus on trial, maybe that's too strong of language, but we're certainly bargaining with him. We're saying, Jesus, if you just come through in this way, then I'll be a more dedicated follower of you. If you do this thing, if you show me your love in this way, then I'll, I'll read my Bible more. If you show me you care in this way, I'm, I'm going to go to church every Sunday. And I'll sit in the front row. And, and I'll, just, I'll follow you, but we get ourselves into these weird mindsets. And if you're really good at it, you didn't say any of it out loud. Right? If you're good at it, it's all in your head. If you're saying it out loud, hopefully you have... Christian brothers and sisters that can be like, eh, do you know what you're saying? But when we think it in our own head, we can kind of get away with it. And, and we say, you know, 
I feel like the deal was that you were going to bless me in this way, or, or life was going to look like this, and, and that's not playing out, so how about, how about I just start going to church once a month until you start to do that thing, Jesus? How about I just let my Bible get real dusty? Just sits on that table over there. I don't need to pick it up. Why would I pick it up? If, if, if he would just do this thing in my life, if he would heal my spouse, if he would make, make this job work out, if he would prevent me from getting laid off in, in this job, then, then I'll pick it up. But for now, it's dusty. And it sits over there. And it just, it, I don't know, I just feel like it's where so many of us are. Jesus, if you're real, if this is really going on, then why is there this disease all over? Do something then. I thought the deal was that you were going to keep me and my family at least healthy. And, and I'm not seeing that, and, and maybe, maybe this isn't what I bargained for. I don't know about you, but I actually find a little bit of comfort, and maybe, maybe it's in a weird way, but I find comfort in, in a Jesus that doesn't play that way. I find comfort in Jesus that's, that's so big that, that he's not like giving in to all the demands, that he, he's not being pushed around by our own thoughts, by our own feelings, that, that he's, he literally says, you, know, you want a sign, look at the cross. That's what he's saying. He's like, you question how much I love you? Look at the cross. There's a sign that he says, I'm going to be in the earth for three days and then I'm going to be resurrected. Look at the empty tomb. You question that I care? And, and there's crosses in your church, there's crosses in your home, and then you say, I, I question God if you truly care for me? You see how weird this is? You see, the, you see the mindset that we find ourselves in? We put God on trial and he says, what do you mean you question if, if you, I care for you? I died on the cross for you. He, he lit the Pharisees kill him. This death that happened, Jesus allowed because he loved you that much, because he loved them that much. That's this radical, upside-down world that Jesus flips it all on its head and he says, you look for a sign. You, you want to, you like, have, have something just, like, work out and then you'll start, you know, following me better? Like, there's, there's your sign. It's right there. It's been the sign of the church for 2,000 years. It doesn't get old. It was good enough for them through terrible times. It's certainly good enough for us. The cross and the empty tomb, that's his love. You know, but we find ourselves in this weird place sometimes of saying, Jesus, just show us a sign. Show us something. Show us that you truly care. 
Show us that you haven't forgotten us, that, that you love us, that you still care about us. And then we, we maybe come to church or we even just look at our own, I don't know, jewelry and decorations and everything, and we just see crosses all over the place. And then you still say, okay, yeah, but show me a, the different sign. <laughs> More like a road sign. Show me something specific, something that's, that's just for me. And, and Jesus is saying, I mean, he says to them, you want a sign, Here, here's your sign. The sign is that, that I will die on the cross for you. The sign is that I love you that much. Don't start questioning how much he cares because of something that's going on. Oh, he cares. You don't need to doubt that. You don't need to doubt that he loves you, that you are precious to him, that he wants to, to give you peace, that he wants to be there right with you. The proof is all around us. So I think as God's people, I think there is, a, there is a lesson to be learned here. How do we act when, when we feel like we've gotten the short end of the stick? When we feel like there was a deal, there was some kind of process, there's some kind of promise, and, and do we let our minds go there? Do we let our minds put Jesus up on the witness stand and say, you're not living up to your end of the deal? Or do we somehow find courage within ourselves to look at the sign that has been there? It's clear as day. It's so good that there's not even just one gospel account about it. <laughs> there's four of them. <laughs> This, this is really, really good news. And yet we kind of take it and we say, yeah, but what about this? And, and Jesus cuts through all that and he says, no, no, no. This, this is how much I love you. This is how much he cares for you. And it's beautiful. My prayer for each one of us is just, that in this, this week ahead, this, I don't know, month, year, whatever it means, that, that we wouldn't let ourselves play these games in our head, that we wouldn't let ourselves question how much he loves us, question how much he loves our families, how much he cares for us, but we would take courage and we would look to the cross of Christ and we would look to the empty tomb and we would be those kind of people. We would be the kind of people that, that look to these signs and say, I, I don't need some road sign to pop up that says Jesus loves me today. Because the ultimate signs are already there.